Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sports fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with a special Tim May podcast. Special because this is uh the what the 32nd anniversary, John Johnson, correct? Yeah, of Buster yeah. Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson in the Tokyo Dome and changing the boxing world for era forever. One of the great upsets in sports history, perhaps the greatest upset in sports history. And I've already introduced him. Uh, most people know who this man is, but uh, just for official uh, uh, certification, John, you're John Johnson, right? Right, right. That's uh, I'm the John Johnson, like the Ohio State University. Yeah, I'm the John Johnson. That's the best. There is John Johnson too, too. That is the best way of putting it. And as we uh, record this at Carsoni's Restaurant up in Northeast Ohio, uh, Southwesterville, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, yeah, it's just yeah. a great place, great place to come for lunch and dinner. And of course, they started stacking the place just as soon as we started recording this. What do you think about that, John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know they, they heard, you know, they heard what was happening and everything, you know, and and they decided to to get out of here. But one thing I want to point out: thirty-two years ago, today we were both in Tokyo. Yes, I was in the process of losing weight because there was hardly anything there I wanted to eat. I know. I I had the same thing. I eat tuna. Yeah, every meal exactly except for that one time when you took me to dinner you know took everybody to dinner in the in the bottom of the restaurant there a nice restaurant uh or bottom of the hotel there and we all had steak you know and it cost a thousand dollars or probably more yeah exactly kobe beef don't come cheap yeah. ladies and gentlemen not even back in 19 1990 uh but the reason i got john on there john was the manager basically the driving force behind getting that fight set up between buster douglas uh from westerville from columbus uh, against Mike Tyson, the unbeatable one, made it happen. But before that, 
John Johnson had another life. He had like 10 or 12 different lives, didn't you? But uh, one of those was serving as basically you weren't an assistant coach per se on the staff, but you were in essence, uh, was a graduate you, you were a graduate assistant for Woody Hayes back in the yeah. mid seventies. Some I of that. wasn't a graduate, so I was a graduate. Yeah. He was a hey. graduate assistant <laughs> with the fab four. Yeah. With the fab four from 72 through 75. And who were the fab four? Uh, Archie Griffin, Brian Bassnagel, Cornelius Green, and Pete Johnson. Yeah. Boy, John Hicks, rest in peace, John yeah, Hicks. Yeah, John Hicks uh, on the front. And it, it, I, I tell everybody. He would, didn't he make the Fab Four? It, Go ahead. Well, but that's just the backfield designation, I think, because if anybody believes you win or lose, it's a line of scrimmage. Yeah. And yeah. we had great offensive line. We had a great defensive line. We had a great defense. Yeah. I mean, man, we, we had a great defense. All yeah. those guys. Those were silver oh, yeah. bullets before the silver bullets ever came along. They had all, they had all hit you. Yeah, they had all hit you. I mean, offensively and defensively, and and we we should have won the national championship. The the worst loss was UCLA in the in the Rose Bowl. The, maybe our greatest win is the comeback win up at Michigan. And so we were able to go to yeah seventy five team seventy three team was great. That's high up in Michigan. We still should have won the national championship because they they gave they gave it to um, somebody that had a loss, but it was early in the season. Maybe Notre Dame. They, yeah, they won the national. Championship. We should have, but yeah, Archie 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 always said that. Archie Griffin always said he would trade one of his Heisman for for Rex Kern's national championship ring. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, those were those were four great teams in a row, seventy two mm-hmm. through seventy five, that matched up with anybody, matched up with any team in history, in my opinion, but didn't get their just due because they didn't get that they didn't get over the top, so to speak. Never yeah. lost to Michigan, did tie Michigan, but never lost to Michigan. That was back when that was in vogue when everybody thought the yeah. Michigan hex had been had been uh, wiped out, and of course, then it came back in the in the uh, John Cooper era. But uh, but obviously, the last several years, the last two decades. Uh, John, really, Ohio State has held sway against Michigan. Is that hard for you to believe, being a, a guy who goes back that deep into this uh, history of Ohio State football? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And, and I, every year I have a, a John Hicks uh, call me and and said, uh, J.J., I just got out of the hospital, and um, a lady there asked me um, if I would help some people help her help some people really need help. Will you help me? And I said, sure, brother. And it turned out that it, it was the uh, Umberforth house. And uh, the last five years, we've had 500 people show up at Bill Milano and we've raised over half a million dollars. And the amazing thing is John Hicks was in a wheelchair. John Hicks was on auction 24 hours a day, three times a week dialysis and losing his eyesight and saying, JJ, Help me help somebody, but we have, and, and we're continuing on his his legend, uh, his legend as a person. Everybody's a person first. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you're either I say you can use your power for to do great things, or you can use it to do evil things. Yeah, so, well, John Hicks, pay forward. That was part of his life. That was part yeah, of his legacy. Yeah, yeah. He's one of the great men I ever, I ever, I. I ever had an association with forget about whether he was a great football player or not. I want to ask you this, uh, give people, give people one anecdote, one little story from uh, dealing, 
with with Woody Hayes during those mid seventies and stuff. What give me one story that just resonates in your head besides the idea of uh, if you're if you're on time you're late. Uh, you know that you just hit me with because I'm always late. Yeah, but uh, give give me one story that still resonates with you about Woody Hayes. Well, uh, there, there's of course several. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I want one. Give yeah, me one. one. Uh, we were we were in. Uh, they, yeah, it's hard, but we were in in um, I think spring practice, and uh, one of the coaches came in in our afternoon meeting and said that Martha Mitchell and said that uh, President Nixon should resign uh, because of or John Mitchell, her husband, yeah. uh, because of, of uh, Nixon and said Nixon should resign. And in the meeting room, we had a phone jack, but we didn't, there wasn't a phone in there. So actually, I went and got him a phone and, and um, I was kind of proud to be one of his gophers. We're very proud. Yeah. Um, and uh, he got on the phone and then, and I learned later because I made phone calls to these guys also that he called the white house. And when you call there, they just ask you your number because there's no caller ID or anything. Yeah. And you tell them. And I, I guess they had a way of checking that, but, and, uh, but he calls and he says, they, they answer the white house. You can believe that. And he said, this is Coach Woody Hayes. Let me talk to the president. And and two minutes later, he, Mr. President, you're not going to resign. You understand? You don't, you don't care what that, what that person said. That's being, you know, yeah. Yeah. You know not saying exactly what he said. Cleaning it up so, a little. Yeah. Yeah. And in my experience and anyone's experience with him and with, uh, President Nixon and also President Ford, um, the, the conversation went, yep, you're right, Woody. Yep, you're right, Woody. Yep, you're right, Woody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, he had, he had, he was a powerful man. And what's great is he used his power to do great things to, to help people. I've told everyone, you, any of you could, walk up to coach Hayes and say, coach, I, I got a problem. I'm, I'm hurting this, that, the other. And bam, like I said, he called president of the United States. He, he would get help. He was yeah. a very compassionate man. Yeah. It's amazing. Crazy, crazy yeah. but cat compassionate. Yeah. Of course, uh, Richard Nixon did resign eventually. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, thing. I know yeah. he did. <laughs> So I'm sure coach wasn't happy about he didn't that. run the play that Woody yeah. Hayes told him to run. And I guess it's my point, you know, but yeah, yeah. He, he had a lot of officials throwing flags at him at that point. So he, yeah. had, to, he had to do what he had to do. But uh, I want to jump into this. Uh, uh, you know, you had a great relationship with Pete Johnson uh, while you were at Ohio state, when you were at GA and stuff. But uh, if, if you could grab one of those players, we've already talked about John Hicks. If you could take, grab one of those players, from that mid seventies group of players that you could have with you all of your life. I mean, just as the bestest buddy, uh, who would that have been? Uh, well, Pete had more of an impact. The first place, Pete Johnson was the best ever. He was the best ever. They feared him. They feared him. Watch it. Watch the game in the Rose Bowl game when we played Southern Cal, and he goes to block one of the defensive ends, and this guy dives into the ground to keep <laughs> from getting hit. Yeah. 
No, nobody could. Pete was the best ever. Yeah. Archie was the best ever, you know, Just, in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. But, but as you realize, you know, Pete went on and became the Bengals all-time leading rusher and yeah. scorer. Yeah. Uh, I still I still have visions of I covered the Bengals when they went to the Super Bowl for the first time. And I still have visions of him catching those swing passes from Ken Anderson on a dead run, you know, on the left, the right flat and stuff. He was just feared. He ran into a lineman one time and hurt his back because he ran into him at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he was, he was ridiculous, a physical specimen, kind of like Derrick Henry, but didn't get as many carries. Yeah. Yeah. He he retired Jack, uh, the linebacker from Pittsburgh, Jack. Jack Lambert. Yeah. Jack Lambert, Jack Lambert. (laughs) Spit on Archie. Archie came back in the huddle. And Pete, Pete said, you know, give me the ball and don't block him. Because yeah. Pete going to win that battle. Kind of like in the longest yard. One-on-one with anyone. You know, and and you ran right over him. Yeah. And I, I, um, I had a special relationship with Pete. I was asked by Coach Hayes to, to have that special relationship, although I, I actually already did have. And it turned out, and I, I point out that – Pete Johnson was the first black football player at Ohio State University to make academic All-American. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that because you pushed him to do his homework? Yeah, I, 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 I went to my classes and then I went to his classes. <laughs> yeah. whatever, whatever it took, right? But yeah, I mean, but he, yeah. Pete was a highly intelligent guy. Uh, I, I keep thinking back to those mid-70s teams, you know, with this name, image, and likeness thing that players have now. Oh, wow. I just keep thinking back to those. Oh, they, I mean, who knows? Probably some of them were benefiting in one form or another, you know, uh, surreptitiously. But who knows what that group could have made? I mean, you're talking about, I mean, Corny Green, all these just outstanding just people. I mean, but they, they were personalities, right? I mean, uh, I mean, you could name a hundred of them. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I, I think that um, uh, I would think back about with Coach – Hayes uh, uh, once, uh, this is also a great story. If you got time to hear another great Coach Hayes story. Uh, a, a player came into his office um, and said that his mom, had, he was from New Jersey, his mom had died and he didn't have any money to go home. He didn't have to, you know, he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so Coach Hayes had his secretary, got, up, got him an airline t- ticket, and he gave him money for food, for cab, food, and so on and so forth. And when he, the guy left, Dick Walker was in the, in the office at the time. And when he left, Coach Hayes got on the phone and called the head of the NCAA. And this is Coach Woody Hayes. Uh, I just had a young man come into my office. And his mama died and told him what happened about giving him the money and stuff. And if he said, said uh, and if it happens again tomorrow, I'm going to do it again. F you guys. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he, he was. Um, Never heard hey, that story. Yeah. And it's the thing is, he, you know, he said, he goes, that NCAA people, they have these uh, uh, conventions and spend a hundred grand or whatever at that time. <laughs> yeah. Which, which was, was a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> Still and, is. Uh, my <laughs> and I can't give a kid five bucks to go to take his girlfriend to a movie yeah. or go to buy some food. Yeah. You know, well, you know, Woody Hayes. So he'd have been happy about that. Oh, yeah, the absolutely would have. Uh, yeah. You know, Woody Hayes was advocating back in the late late 60s, but definitely the 70s for instant replay review of official calls. 
you know, we all we all know about the ripping the uh, the yard marker down, you know, at uh, at Michigan that one year and stuff. But uh, you know, me and a buddy of mine, we talk about all the time about how history would have been changed <laughs> in all kinds of ways if there had been replay review back in back when TV first came along. I mean, there were all kinds of missed calls back then, right, John? Yeah, yeah. Miss spots, miss everything. Uh, the, the biggest one missed for us was up at Michigan State. And something, another story. 1974. We're, yeah, we're in, we're in the, the dressing locker room after the after game, and they're making a decision as to whether it was a fumble or not or whether we scored. Yeah, let me, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. 1974, Levi Jackson went up the right sideline against Ohio State. Go ahead, the go ahead touchdown for Michigan State. Ohio State came back and drove all the way down to the what the one foot line or the one yard line and went for it on on the last play of the game. And the officials ruled, what did the officials rule? Was it, was it, uh, I, mean, I can't remember where the yeah, officials ruled Chan, uh, that y'all weren't set or no, no, champ, champ, I think the ball was, rolled yeah, out. Champ Henson grabbed he fumbled, it. And it rolled into the end zone and Brian Bassnagel Bass, recovered exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. And so there was, I think, I don't know whether they called touchdown. Immediately was, at the end of the game, they did not call a touchdown, if I remember correctly. And uh, yeah, they yeah because you, got, you guys were told you lost. Yeah. And then uh, Wayne Duke was the commissioner of the Big Two, happened to be at the game. Mm-hmm. And they had a confab after the game. And then Wayne Duke came into the locker room to tell Tell Woody Hayes. That was what I was going to tell about. You talk about guts, but go ahead, though. Yeah, he, I mean, well, there was there was John Duke Wayne, and then there was Wayne Duke. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, we we it was like um, uh, half hour or so after the game. Yeah, and we're all in there, and Coach he's he's not happy, of course, you know. And so it's funny. So Wayne Duke comes in, and he says. Well, Woody, you know, and that's all he got out of his mouth. <laughs> and he actually attacked Wayne Duke and said, you SOB, I knew you guys were going to F me and stuff. And then he, after he pushed him backwards, you want to talk? No, no, him. you go. And, and after he pushed him back, slammed me up against the locker, he went back and got Nick Bonamici. Nick Bonamici. And said, come on, we're going to kick their ass. And he, 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 he uh, <laughs> yeah, because their locker room was right across the way there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the yeah, old yeah, configuration yeah. at that State Spartan and Stadium. I, I don't know how we prevented, uh, preventing him, yeah. you know, doing that, but, uh, yeah, that was our biggest, uh, you talk about call, questionable call. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's others for and against us. Yeah. Uh, exactly. That one determined, definitely determined the outcome of the game. Yeah. And the outcome of the in a waste season. National championship. Yeah. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> that was a hell of a team, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, but bottom line is, you know, you had some great adventures there. Uh, how did you, how did you and Woody, or how did you hook up with that, with that graduate assistant job? Do you remember mm-hmm. what you yeah, went through? Because you, I know you wanted tooth and nail, uh, worked your way to try to get that situation. How did it come well, about? Well, Back then, and they were talking, say, 69, 70, and at that range, anybody could help recruit. And I started helping, God was I blessed, with Dick Walker, Coach Dick Walker, and also Coach Ed Ferkney. And I became friends with them, actually, out in the street, and I always loved Ohio State. And, and so I started helping them recruit. 
and uh, was su successful. And I got to know Coach Hayes. And in 72, uh, after for a couple of years of doing that, um, I went to Coach Hayes and said, I'm not happy. I was in the finance business doing really well. I had a company car, all that stuff. And I said, I'm not happy, and I, I want to be a football coach. You know, that's what I want to do. And he said, come and help me coach. Yeah. And that was it. That was, that was, wow. the, that was the beginning. And, and uh, we ended up, uh, man, he had, I tell you, my last high school coaching job was at Mansfield Malabar. And I got a police escort out of Mansfield. To the sea limits. And five weeks before the school year was out. And the first person I went to see was Coach Hayes. And I went in, and I had a letter from the superintendent and stuff. And the secretary always sat outside his office. And I said, it's Coach Hayes. And I like how Coach Hayes. And he heard my voice. He said, John, John, come in here. So I went in, and I sat down, and I handed him that letter. And he looked up at me, and he says, damn, man, your, your temper's worse than mine. But I said, no, it's not. Coach Hayes had the greatest temper ever. Yeah, yours, oh, yours is right. Yours is pretty good, though. Yours I know, but wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this guy was. Yeah, his could flip on like that. For another yeah. world. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, boom, y'all were hooked up. Oh, we love that. I mean, yeah. it's like here. Yeah. yeah. But you but you got, you know, you got to be behind the scenes with one of the great college football coaches, one of the great coaches Made a difference. in history. Yeah. Uh, what you you know, I asked you why I go for some anecdotes and stuff, but just in a nutshell, give it to me short. What just stood about him out about him the most? Was it was it his attention to detail? Was it uh, his uh, relationship with people, with players, knowing how to get the the most out of them, one way or the other, from an agitation standpoint or a cajoling standpoint? What what just stood out about him that made him you think the special person he was as a coach? Well, he, he, he was able to, uh, you know, people knew that he cared about them. And, and the players, that's a big thing. I mean, it makes such a difference, you know. It, uh, it's, but I go back to his compassion, to his, his going to Riverside hospitals and visit people. See, you know, a lot of coaches, when we beat um, – Michigan that comeback victory, you know, he they just they had roses and stuff, and he took them to Riverside Hospital and give them to people. Yeah, you know, he wasn't at partying. He wasn't, you know, I mean, he 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 um he, he was he was a great person. A lot of people didn't see that side of him. Yeah, they seen the you know the the temper side. They saw but the Gator Bowl. Yeah. They saw the Rose Bowl uh, and the cameraman. They saw mm -hmm. the uh, tearing up the yard line markers. They. You're exactly right. They saw the, you know, the uh, him ripping his cap apart, you know, throwing his watches on the ground, his cheap watches. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 or doing things crazier than that. But to add back to that story, uh, after he, I told him his temper was worse than mine. He said, "Well, my man, what do you want to do now?" <laughs> and his loyalty. Yeah, the people, you know. He, Man, he he he'd fight for you. There's, yeah. there's no question about that. Yeah, that carried through. And that, that created that response to where people would fight for him. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and the pay forward philosophy was just you know. Yeah, all yeah. of his uh, his former players just lived by that, you know, and carried that forward uh, for yeah. one another term. The greatest brotherhood. 
Yeah. I say that the, you know, it's like I say you can if you have power, you can use it to do great things or you can use it to do evil things. And we know people who do both. Yeah. And I utilize my power. I get up every morning and I try to help people who, as John said, really need help, kids and and adults. And and it, it's very it's inspiring for me uh, to 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 be able to do that. And my power in a sense is I can call Archie Griffin or I can call Urban Meyer. I can call a lot of people and say, Hey, I need your help to do this. And they're like, let's do it. You know? Yeah. That, you know? Uh, so it's, it's not one individual making things happen. Um, yeah. I'm real happy about that. I have a fighter. I have another world champion fighter uh, who's fighting here March the 4th. Yeah. I want to get on that. Yeah. Uh, who is this? Who is this young man? His name's Alonze Green. He's from Cleveland, east side of Cleveland. Uh, had an outstanding amateur career. Finished third in the, the Olympic trials uh, as a heavyweight, and now he's a cruiserweight. He's a great 200-pound athlete. Yeah. He's uh, going to be fighting when? Uh, March the 4th at March, the Hollywood Casino. Hollywood Casino, uh, west side of Columbus. Especially you uh, Cleveland people. Y'all ought to come and – everybody ought to come and support him. But Yeah. That's it. That's a, that's a cool little room, though, that you're fighting yeah, in there. Isn't yeah, it? I mean, it's a that, great place to have a fight. You know, uh, uh, I don't want to get into too much. You know, people know the story about Buster Douglas and stuff like this. But uh, before Buster Douglas, you know, you got into the boxing game. What told you that you knew anything about boxing? Well, I, I grew up in West Virginia. <laughs> that we says were, it all. We, Red Jacket, we, West we Virginia. Were, we were raised to fight. Yeah. My famous quote from my mom is, get a rock. He's like, somebody mess with you, you can get a nice rock. Crack them for the rocks. I said, ooh. I don't want You're not no allowed more. to bring that into the ring, though, are you? I don't want no more of that. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and it's really funny, you know, when you think about Buster and talking about how his mom, he 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 let someone bully him one day on the way home from school yes. and told his mom about it. And his mom says, look, you either go out there and whip him or you go out to fight me. And that's kind of the way, you know. So I, 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 we were involved in boxing. I got involved in the amateur boxing here in Columbus, 1964, with a great friend and guy, former high state player, Lee Williams. Uh, and I, I loved it. I love, I love fights. I love fighting. I yeah. mean, I, I, I pick fights every day with people over different things. Uh, uh, is it amazing though to you though you got into the you got into basically what I call the managerial side of it? Is it amazing to you that you took uh, Steve Gregory was in Copenhagen, Denmark, right? Uh, yeah, he fought for he the world. Championship. Fought for the world title, a guy from from Columbus, Ohio, fought for the world championship. Did you think you would? That was what 1980, 1979, yeah. right? Did you think you would ever get back to that height? Do you, do you ever think you'd get back to those heights with I, a boxer? I, I knew I because it's hard to it's yeah. hard to. It's, you know, very few gyms is, you know, even, uh, uh, crank, I mean, uh, 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 Kronk, you know, mm. boy, back when very few of them had guys just continually step up and fight for world championships and stuff, but you were able to like steer at least two guys. Uh, Buster had two shots at a world championship. Um, uh, first, you know, first, of course, he loses to Tony Tucker. What was that? 1988, I think in Las Vegas. And then, uh, but you fought tooth and nail to get him another shot at it. But how tough was it, Steve Gregory, Buster Douglas, to get them those shots? Well, 
Besides a lot of fun talks. Like being (laughs) blessed with with Coach Hayes when I when I talked, Steve Gregory contacted me. He knew me. I was like head of the Amateur Boxing Association. And he contacted me and said he wanted to turn pro and would I advise him or would I help him? And I actually talked to Pete Brown, Paul Brown's son, who was a great friend. God love him. He died a couple of years ago. Yeah. And we talked about it and we said, hey, it's like who you learn from, you know? And so I called Angelo Dundee, who had Muhammad Ali, and and at that time had Ray Leonard. He was in Las Vegas and stands at Hilton in Vegas, and Ray was fighting out there. And he didn't answer his phone in his room, but I left a message. And I said, Mr. Dundee, my name is John Johnson, and I have a young fighter named Steve Gregory, and I'd like to talk to you about working with us. And I said, if you have any questions about me, you call Coach Woody Hayes at, and I left Coach Hayes' number. A couple minutes later, he called me back. Not because I said about that, I had this young fighter, it's also because I said, hey, call, call, call Coach Hayes. It, most everyone, him, Don King, <laughs> for, when, I, every, for, when you first meet him, they're like, I want to get my picture taken with Woody Hayes. I want to get my picture taken with Woody Hayes. And when I went into Coach Hayes and said, hey, will you take a picture with Don King for me? He said, Don King, I ain't no taking no damn picture with Don King. But then he did. (laughs) (laughs) It's because he loved you so much. Yeah, yeah. But the bottom line is you had to to have hookups, you know. Yeah. uh, You you understood that, you know. Well, did that just come naturally to you? Because, you know, you, you have always been a people person. In one form or another, yeah, yeah. you've always been a people person. Did did when did you realize that it wasn't just how good a boxer you had, but it was how good a hookups you had that that got these guys their shots? Yeah, it, it's kind of who you know rather than, but it's also what you know. And and you know, I wanted to, I you know, I was blessed. I learned from the best in Coach Hayes when it came to football, and that's what really changed my life with Ohio State. And and uh, boxing, I learned from Angelo Dundee and others. And then, you know, there's so many times in your life that something happens that, or people especially come into your life. Um, and you know, on April seventh, nineteen sixty four or nineteen eighty four, what am I talking about? I got a call from Buster Douglas about helping him in his career. And Stevie had retired in 80, 81. Yeah. And I was doing high school football coaching in that time period. And I was very excited when I got the call because I knew Buster from the time he was young. And I knew he had great ability and talent. Uh, and I tell Alonzo Green, the fighter that I have now, that he has Buster's uh, ability and talent and so on. And, his response, which I love, is, Coach, I'm better than Buster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This kid's for real. This, this kid yeah. is Well, I believe he's for real. real. And, and Buster a... was. You know, if Buster yeah. would have trained oh, yeah, the way he I should have, oh, he'd have been hard to be. I told everybody, once he got his act together, you know, when you guys, everybody was involved, you know, J.D. McCauley, bless his heart, uh, you know, and I guess uh, some others were involved, too, Uh I'm not sure they were as involved as you and J.D. McCauley. Uh, but the bottom line was, once he got his act together and he trained, he looked like 
he looked like an outside linebacker. You know, when he was training up here at the Westerfield, what was the name of the place? Uh, um, I, I'm trying to remember. Fitness anyway, trend. Fitness Trent, yeah, yeah, in Westerville. And he would do these sprints and runs and stuff. You go, man, this guy, wow, what a specimen. Of course, his mom died uh, before you guys headed for Tokyo. Uh, he had to take a little time off there, uh, obviously degree, but then you wondered whether that fight was going to be in him. And, in fact, it enhanced the fight in him, as he said later. Uh, but – you know, we've this had specials done on it, all these kind of things. You know, I caught I caught some acclaim because I actually picked Buster to beat Mike Tyson. I said, this is, you know, if Buster can avoid getting knocked out, of course, you always got to throw that in there with Mike Tyson because one punch could change everything. But if you could stay away from him, I saw this happening. And the reason I wrote that story was because we were sitting over there in Tokyo and you were you and JD, but especially you were telling me about all the ways y'all had scouted Mike Tyson. The whole key was Buster stepping in there and throwing jabs, throwing jabs, throwing jabs, et cetera. Uh, but you gave me that blueprint of how Buster was going to beat him, and I wrote about that the day of the fight. And I said, yeah, that's plausible because Buster, in great shape, is as good a fighter almost as you've ever seen. Am I right about that? Yeah, I, I remember when we were in Tokyo, you coming into my room yeah. and saying, well, what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I needed to know, man. What's going to happen? I'd flown halfway around the world to see this thing, you know? I said, uh, Buster's going to beat his ass. Yeah, that's exactly right. But but he didn't just say that. He he told me and showed me why. He showed me, for example, they scouted this fight like a football, like like getting ready for a football game. It it showed that if, if he hit Tyson in the face or hit him, he would sort of stop. You showed me this. And he goes, so he stopped. You hit him again because he's not. You number one, he's not used to getting hit. Uh, but you, the Frank Bruno fight was a great example. Frank Bruno hit him, but he was afraid to step in there and hit him again. You know, because, and finally got knocked out. I think in the fifth round, Frank Bruno did. But you fought guys fought on the undercard of that fight out in Vegas in that little Hilton Convention Center. And I remember I was out there because you guys were fighting on the undercard, and and I remember watching that fight. And it was just it was cool how you put how y'all put all that together. But then it finally comes to that moment of truth of a guy, boxer, in his underwear and boots and gloves on, <laughs> going out and getting it done and stuff. To this day, do you still marvel at the courage of a Buster Douglas to step into a ring like that and to, and to follow well, through I, on the I, game plan? Because I, and I, and I, I it's so much like football in a way. That's um, It's like football intensified about a thousand times. Yeah. Because – the, the athlete has a cup on and some gloves and he's going to fight for three minutes. And if you think that's easy, then just do anything for three minutes. Before a break. Yeah. yeah. And, and then there's no substitutes. There's no timeouts. And the object is to render your opponent unconscious yeah. for at least 10 seconds. Yeah. And I, you know, I would like thinking, I've always said JD McCauley was the key because he put us together Buster Douglas went to J.D. McCauley and said, I want to restart my career. What do you advise me to do? And he said, I'd call Johnny Johnson. And that's that's how we all got together. Yeah. And J.D. was a – J.D. bless his heart. He was just great. God loving me. It hasn't been too long ago. It's been a couple of years now that J.D. died. Uh, but, yeah, he was uh, he, he was special. He was a great coach. Yeah. Great inspiring. But then pass that. I want to get mm. back. How much courage does it take to step into a ring like you just said with nothing on but your smile, your cup, 
your boots and, and gloves and to fight a guy with the reputation of a Mike Tyson? Well, I, 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 I you know, I'd really like to think that, that uh, we, we had the, the greatest thing about coaching that, that you end up doing is, is being able to transfer your mind into an athlete that can do it. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I, and I think that, that we, we knew what we needed to do, like you said, physically to where we, we wanted to punch in the V, stay up the middle as Mike came from the outside. Yeah. Mike had great hand speed. Yeah. Power. His feet were not great, and so we utilized this. I mean, Buster Douglas was a, a junior college All-American basketball player, right? You know, I mean, he was a great athlete. Yeah. And he used his athleticism, and we kept in control of the middle. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, that, like now I call it with Volante, I call it a missile. If you think of a missile and how fast it travels, and you throw the jab, and Mike slips it, and then you throw the right hand, and he slips it because Mike is doing this constantly. Yeah. And then you come back up the middle like it's a missile with the impact and hitting it like a missile uh, rather than because people are taught to hook off your right hand, so people protect. We told Buster, kiss, kiss your right hand, kiss your right hand. Keep because Mike had a tremendous, tremendous hook and, and uppercut. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every, anything he hits you with. Yeah, yeah. But what happened? We slipped, slipped, and then when Mike was cocked, so the the uh, hook, bam, straight right up here, right up here. And yeah. we planned it. I mean, we we worked on it. We worked on it. And Buster Douglas went into that fight. And they executed it. Yeah. yeah the only yeah. time he slipped was when he got a little bit, you know, in the eighth round. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the great thing I've always said about Mike Tyson is uh, that to me is a sign of greatness when you're getting a hell beat out of you and you still almost, <laughs> you still almost saved the day. And he threw that uppercut. Buster went down. Just give people an idea. You're sitting there and briefly uh, give them an idea. You're sitting there and you're watching all this work, all these dreams, all these things. And all of a sudden, Buster is on the floor. He's on the, excuse me, he's on the canvas. Uh, he's been knocked down by Mike Tyson with a severe uppercut. What were your, what was your immediate thought? Like, boy, well, at least we gave him a run or was it get up? Well, of course it was get up. No, it was, it was, one, he, he was across the ring from right. us. And so I didn't see the punch land, but I seen Buster coming back towards us and hit him hit on the canvas. And at that time, as crazy as this was, I kind of Johnny and you know, my son was yeah. you know, sitting right, and I kind of looked back at him for whatever reason. And my thought was, I'm proud of him, no matter what happens. And then when I kind I seen him roll over and hit the canvas, so I knew that he had his. But still, you know, his, Faculties. his mind was okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, then we got up, the bell rang almost, you know, almost mid immediately. And when he came over and he sat down, I started yelling as loud as I could yell. He's going to come like hell. You understand? He's going to come like hell. Yeah. And uh, knowing Mike, um, and I felt he had to be prepared for that. Yeah. Otherwise, technically, he was doing everything that he needed to, yeah. to be doing. And, yeah. One slip up. 
You yeah. said that ninth round was a ninth round is the greatest round of heavyweight boxing I, I ever saw. Yeah. I don't know about you. I st- just yeah. just saying that gives me chill bumps right now because yeah. I'm because because it was like a hurricane coming ashore with Mike Tyson coming across the ring there. Yeah. Buster withstood it, and then about a minute and fifteen minute twenty seconds into that round, it totally changed. Yeah, and the world started to change. Yeah, because Buster took total control at the end of that round. Mike was not the same fighter he was at the beginning of that round, much less the fight. And you kind of went, oh, my goodness, Buster, he's beating him up. He's beating up the bully. And then, of course, in the uh, 10th round, he went out and knocked him out. I mean, yeah, when, when Mike fell, he fell right in our corner. <laughs> and I, I jumped up. I jumped up. His mouthpiece is over started, here. Yeah, yeah, I started saying, stay down, stay down, or yelling, stay down. <laughs> and the referee's like, one, yeah. two. Like, like, Moran. Whoa. Yeah. But when he got to seven, Mike reached over to get his mouthpiece, and I said, "We won," and got ready to jump into the jump into the ring. Yeah. And, but uh, uh, I, I I always thought we was going to make Mike quit. I didn't, wow. you know. Yeah. I thought we'll beat up on him for seven or eight rounds or whatever rounds. Not used to this. And he'll say, "Hey, I'm the I ain't, I ain't going through this no more." Yeah. And I gained the greatest respect for him when he he got up. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was there. Oh, yeah. He was a champion. I mean, he was a champion for a reason. And to this day, he still makes money, you know. I mean, uh, off his reputation and stuff, but I think he's I think he's totally underrated just Mm. as a person, a character in sports history, Mm. you know. That uh, you know, let's get on to this real quick though, before we move on. Um uh that launch buster, of course, then he loses Dan Fander Holyfield. We need need to get into all that. We all know about the denouement uh that happened there and stuff. Are you disappointed though that things just sort of unraveled after that? I mean, how disappointing was that for you to well, get a guy finally there and then he gets the he gets a hold of the brass ring and then it with all of the pressures and everything that come with celebrity, things unraveled. How disappointing was that? Well, it was devastating at the time when it happened, no doubt. Um, but you know, you have uh, Coach Hazel used to say, for every positive, there's a negative, and every negative, a positive. And there's certain things you should, negative, and you say, well, what, what can be positive about that? Death, as an example. Yeah. Well, the only positive I can come with that is you had that person in your life for as long as you did. You had that great special love and so on and so forth. So, you know, and, and uh, you know, in, in the sense that with the situation, what happened with Buster, it's very much a p- more positive than negative, but, yeah. but, uh, man, you have everybody. He had everybody. He was the most popular athlete in the world I know, the man. next morning Yeah, in the world after beating Mike Tyson, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so we had, uh, and you know, uh, we had a major difference opinion and actually went 20 years without speaking to each other, but oh. we're, we're back. We're friends now. Yeah. And, um, you know the the positive uh, you know, way way outweighed the negative. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But that's great. Y'all got back together and stuff. And there's a respect there, I think, for both y'all. And the, like I always say, you know, I've always given you tremendous credit for making that happen. But like I said, I've never ever gone so far as to say you're the reason it happened because Buster had to believe in it. He had, to had to get in the ring. But that's what, that's what, that's what got me mm-hmm. about, about y'all's relationship was it's like coaching a football team. You got to get people to believe they can do something. 
but then also get them to put into work to get it done. You know, that something becomes habit, <laughs> you know, instead of, oh, my good, goodness, what is this? And that's where I gave y'all credit. Y'all totally prepared him for that fight. I mean, from almost every angle, you look back on that as a as a major accomplishment, right? I mean, I know you do him winning the championship, but just the way y'all all prepared for that fight. Y'all went into that thing as a uh, an underdog, definitely, but you knew what you had going for you, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, most everyone, as you know, uh, thought it was impossible, but but I I don't think I said I start with JD because he put us together and then yeah. Buster and I, I I you know I want to think that the three of us felt it. Hey, we're gonna go beat his ass. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and, and uh, as I told you in Tokyo a couple yeah. days before the fight. And the other thing is, if you remember, Buster got real sick in yeah. Tokyo. Yeah, really sick. Yeah, when he called me that morning and. I don't know, it was four or five days before the fight or something. Uh, I, I knew the fight had to be called off because yeah. his voice was so bad. And we got the doctor there at the uh, Grand Palace where yeah. we were staying in Tokyo, and he loaded him up with antibiotics. And, and when I knew for sure was the night before the fight when he shook out in front of the, the – uh, elevators yeah out, i just got chills again because i watched that you know i'm standing there with you and yeah. jd and johnny and watched and, you know the sparring mm. partners and uh and uh who else was over there but, but there was mm. a whole group of people there mm. and we just i just went oh my goodness this guy he's yeah. on another level this guy's on another level yeah. i've watched him fight probably 15 20 times maybe more than that he's on another level you got the same idea right yeah we i followed him down we had the ninth floor of the hotel yeah. all of us and I walked down to his room and he had, he sat down he had a broken night sweat and stuff. And I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing great. Wow. And I knew right then that, that we were going to beat him. You know, it's funny, ladies and gentlemen, is, you know, uh, the fight started here at 1030 uh, at night on HBO, which meant it started at 1230 in the afternoon <laughs> in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, it was a, this was a matinee kind of fight, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, Buster got it done. Hey, I want to ask you one last thing about that whole thing. Uh, uh, you had to fight. You had, you had to fight for the champion. You had to fight to get the fight. Then you had to fight to get the championship from Mike Tyson. Uh, Buster did. Then you had to fight to hang on to it. Did did any of that taint? Did, did the latter part of that, you know, with the whole Don King protest and them reviewing things, et cetera, did that taint the experience for you? Did you, oh, yeah, did you, I mean, did you, were you flying back? Cause we were all on the same, uh, Japanese airline 747 coming back. Remember had that mm -hmm. upper berth, upper level. And, uh, but did you, were you worried that this was going to be taken from you guys? No, no, they, because that, that day after the fight, I was in the hotel room and someone called, I think it was Peyton share and said, Hey, they want you to come to, uh, uh, a meeting with the organizations and Don and Mike and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I said, F them. Yeah. That's what I said. F them. Yeah. yeah. The whole world. Somebody didn't say F. That's good. Favorite word. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, no but, kidding. <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, I think the yeah. world knew who won. Exactly. You know, that's you the know? point. That's the one I want to get to. <laughs> the world knew what happened, no matter what yeah. you think happened, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Hey, John, one last thing. Give one more plug to this fight uh, that's coming. Do you feel like this kid can go the distance? And do you, as boxing, I don't know, 
doesn't seem to have the same allure, but it seems to be coming back. But it doesn't seem to have the same allure back in the, that it did back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, at least when I was covering it. Maybe that was the difference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was covering I it. But uh, uh, do you feel like boxing's coming back? And does this kid have a chance at a, champ- a world championship? Yeah, no doubt. He, he he's, he's lightning quick. What's his name again? Alante Green. Alante he, Green. He's, uh, I say Alante equals greatness. You know, there's – Athletes have different amount of ability or potential. Yeah. yeah. You know, in, in all sports. Yes. And, and you know, a Buster had great potential. He had great. And as I said, I I tell Lance, you know, he has Buster's ability. He has his everything that Buster had. And his response, which I love, is, "Coach, I'm better than yeah. Buster." And, yeah. And that's his attitude. I mean, yeah, he's a. We got a great team of people. Uh, Troy Speakman does the promotions, and he's a very energetic uh, guy. And we got a partnership in Chicago with Bobby Itz. We're great trainers. Just guys are, are, and that's what it takes. You know, it takes a team of people. Yeah, there's no one person does yeah. it. Yeah, and and we got the athlete. And so, if you want to see, you want to see a great athlete. And I know all you appreciate, especially you Cleveland people, y'all, y'all <laughs> should be out there supporting this kid, but also, uh, Local, you, yeah. you want to see a, a, a potential world champion. Now in the cruiserweight division, he's going to have to be at his absolute best to beat some of those guys. Whoa. Yeah. There's some really great two. You think 200 pound athletes, how good an athlete is it? And, and that's what these guys are. Uh, but at his best, he can beat them all. He can flat beat them all. Like Buster could have beat them all, which he did. Yeah. <laughs> In a sense, with Mike Tyson, nobody beat him. John Johnson, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah. I've been wanting to do this for a while. And, uh, you know, and, the thing I like to say too is like when I when I was covering Buster, but then even that after that, Alexander Zolkin, I think got about as far as he could get. You know the Russian and stuff. You know I talked about you. We were going to write a book together Rip, if he ever won the the world championship from Red Jacket to Red Square. Yeah. You know you yeah. you would have made the rounds, but uh, just I got to go a lot of places covering these guys with you. But what I really appreciated about you was like. When we're sitting in that bungalow at the at the uh, Mirage Hotel back in 1990, and everybody's coming from everywhere to try to get you to do that Evander Holyfield uh, uh, Douglas fight, you know, and and uh, promoters, etc. And you were in that back bungalow back there. I think Dolly Parton had stayed in the same bungalow before. But my point was, you let me in there, you know, when when there were meetings going on and stuff behind the scenes and stuff, and I totally totally wanted to tell you how much I really appreciated that because. It's rare that you get, as a sports writer, you really you kind of hear it from other people. You know, it's rare that you get to be behind the well, scenes the when that, the when the crap is going on. If you're getting, it is like making baloney, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Getting it, uh, if you're getting into a knockdown, dragout fight with Don King, yeah, you want some witnesses. So you, yeah, you know, and I witnessed it, ladies and gentlemen. It was, yeah. and this man stood his ground, and I won't get into the whole thing. I've told that story before, yeah. but. Uh, and then he goes, I'm sitting in that bungalow, and you came down, and you went into the, the the bedroom, and you lit up a cigarette, and then you turned at me, and you winked. And I went, oh, my goodness, this guy's got Don King right where he wants it, mm-hmm. and uh, finally. But, John Johnson, Ray, I appreciate you, man. Hey, man, I appreciate you. You've, uh, you've been a great uh, – had great impact on the, our, you know, careers of, our, of my fighters. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've, we've had some great uh, – 
Times you know, memories together, oh, yeah. monumental memories. You know, I always, I always tell Tim, the fight in Tokyo was the greatest sports story he ever covered. Yeah, the Ohio State games, absolutely. Yeah, uh, some Bobby Riggle winning in yeah, yeah, for for a long time he's covered a lot of things, but I guess that you know because of it was so unexpected in a sense, but he was like a part of our team. And I think maybe we even convinced him. Yeah, you did. Buster Douglas going to beat Mike Tyson. Even though Jeremy Schaap and them left it out of that documentary, I wish they, you know, thought that was the only reason. Not to one to forty-two to one. You yeah. did all the talk. Oh no, but I mean, but they left out the part that I picked Buster to win the fight. You know all what right. I mean? And that kind of. They said the only guy that believed in him was a cab driver from <laughs> from stupid Las Vegas who bet on him at forty-two to one. Still though. Yeah. Totally appreciate it, you know. Uh, uh, and I want to ask one last thing before we go. Are you worried about college football right now? You know, you invested time, effort, and I'm, so I'm happy about. Uh, what's I mean, about the way things the are going. Kids, okay, the, the transfer point. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy about the. Uh, there's a combination there where uh, the, those kids can can make some deserved money. Yeah, because. You could say what you want, man. When you go out on that football field and you step across that white line, you're going to get hit. Yep. And you're going to have to hit people. And, and there's always that danger of, of something happening. And I think people should be compensated. I, I agree. Think, I think 100%. we ought to tell, you know what we ought to do? We ought to pay teachers, right? Yeah. I used to be a teacher once. We ought to pay them like babysitters. We would agree that. They babysit these kids, yeah. right? They yeah. babysit them. Yeah. You take them there and you leave them there for so many hours, and they at least do that part. Yeah. Now, the other thing they try to do is they try to maybe teach them something, you know? Yeah. So we pay them like babysitters, pay them 10 bucks an hour per kid, and they'd all be making 250, 300,000 a year. Yeah. And they'd, Which is there, would be, what they'd, there would be people flocking to the profession <laughs> instead of the other way around. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. that's the thing about John Johnson, ladies and gentlemen, as you noticed that you start here, but then a tangent leads you here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you don't want to know where I got the term, but I digress. It came, came from this guy, but, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, he, Make some good points though, along the way. But uh, by, by the way, what you just said about football, though, it reminds me of my old saying. I said I covered three sports, really, throughout my uh, sports writing career, three main sports. It was boxing, uh, football, and auto racing. Mm -hmm. I said two of them where they wore a helmet and one of them where they should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But because uh, they were all alike, once you stepped into the arena, whether it was in your cockpit or your mm -hmm. car, between the lines or between the ropes, uh, you were in jeopardy. Yeah. You were in physical jeopardy. And uh, even when you were practicing. And uh, that's what sets those apart. But John Johnson, thank you very much thank for joining you, the Timmy podcast. I appreciate it. And thanks for Frank Carsoni. Uh, Carsoni right off the exit in Westerville. This is the first place that we came after the fight in Tokyo. Yeah, that's right. Is we came here to Carsoni's to eat because Frank helped feed us before. Yeah. This idea that Buster <laughs> Douglas went to Tokyo. <laughs> Nobody knowing who he was, that was a you know, it was kind of a joke because yeah. there were a lot of people pushing for him when he left and but uh backed up and stepped up and and uh, offered him support when he needed it the most. And Frank Carsoni and this group was war one up. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. Right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you world, for joining the Tim Mike Podcast. World Championship for four Rose Bowl, Big Ten Championship rings. Until next week, wait, we'll see wait, you then. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, there's one more. All right.
gold pants, gold pants three pair. <laughs> and then that one there, um, Nick Bonamici's sister made that cross for me. Wow. I'm going to get a bigger one. Wow. Jesus said, acknowledge me publicly. You know, Nick Bonamici is a guy I'd like to get on my podcast. I may do that. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, he, I remember interviewing fun. him a couple of times, but he was one of those guys that was like, Ooh, like gosh. you know, yeah. But he was also a character. I mean, he was a, an icon to a certain extent. I remember moving up here in, in, uh, in 1976, but I knew of him before that because, I, you know, I knew about Ohio State football living in Texas and stuff. But he was just a name that resonated, right? But also the way he played. He backed up the name. Yeah. He, he, he was like, and I think I mean, he, he was like the Bosa's yeah. as far as his. He, I, I his remember presence. watching the, yeah. in the Southern Cal game, and he was just a freshman. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, he got some great Bonamici story. But, but um, uh, two, two or three guys tried to block him. It was like watching you know, Nick and Joey to that, you yeah. know, everybody. And he, he was relentless. He was, a he was, he was a great player. Hey, we'll come back. We'll do some more memories, man. Mm-hmm. With you, Cause those are some great, great, great characters, great players back then, but you were involved with the high state football all the way through. I mean, you, you stayed friends with certain players, mm-hmm. et cetera, like Sean Springs, for example, and stuff. You had great relationships. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what, right now we got to cut it off. All right. All right. But yeah. ladies and gentlemen, next time we're going to talk about, charities yeah. and helping people that that really really uh, need your help and kids that really really need your help that's, that's the great thing about john is he takes over yeah. whatever whatever he gets into he takes over the situation just like the tim may podcast he's yeah. setting the uh setting the agenda right. by the way by the way thanks to uh thanks to uh jim tressel urban meyer and uh and uh, Ryan Day, these gold pants have sort of become trinkets. Have you noticed that? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot in circulation now, man. <laughs> exactly. Hey, until next time, this is Tim May for the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you then. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in 
West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. 